The condition of sin's got to be dealt with before the conduct of a believer. The good news is so good because the bad news is so bad. If you expect to become righteous through the law or any other means, you will fall short every time. The person that's sitting next to you that might be an adulterer, that might be a dope addict, you and that person need the same grace of God. What about when I was unfaithful? What about when I overstepped the lines? The things that we say could never be paid for, God has already paid. Nothing can stop us. We're unstoppable. It should be easy to go to heaven and hard to go to heaven. How do you overcome sin? Not by trying harder, but surrendering more. I want to welcome you all. We're excited that you're here. And... Um, Looking forward to another good day, continuing our series in Romans. How many of you are still enjoying Romans? Come on. Last week was uh, pretty intense. Come on, if you, if you were here last week, you're like, your brain's still going from Romans 11. And I thought uh, Pastor Stephen did an incredible job. And, uh, you know, I, I love moving through the Bible like we're, like we're doing it with the book of Romans because um, how many of you know it at times, whenever you come up against a, a difficult verse to understand Y'all probably do what I do, right? It's just sort of like glaze over it. You know what I'm talking about? No, none of you guys. So y'all are like studious in your, in your reading of the word of God where I don't know what that word means. I think I'll go look at the Greek. Oh, let me go study Old Testament and Hebrew culture, you know, Jewish culture and, and get the, no, you don't, stop it, you know? <laughs> So what we do is we'll, we'll just kind of skate through the word of God. We'll read the verses that we like. We'll, we'll just kind of not look at the ones that we don't like. And then what happens is we don't wrestle with the things that need to be wrestled with. And then what happens is our faith is built upon a certain level of understanding. And usually that level of understanding is just our own. It's what we can get, what we can understand at face value. I'm gonna be honest with you guys, there's not many things in life that if I take it at face value and I don't look a little bit past face value, that it doesn't, I don't really have the full understanding of what's going on. You know what I'm talking about? It's sort of like uh, a car. Every single one of you got in a car today, you started the car, you drove to church or you rode to church. But I'm gonna be honest with you, I have no idea how my car works. No idea. Like I'm one of those guys. I pay somebody, somebody to do it, you know? Um, I have done two or three uh, projects on my car, on my old car, and uh, the one that I didn't care about, you know? The 1994 Honda Accord that leaked oil wherever I went, that one. Um, and it would take me five hours to do one thing that a guy that actually knew what he was doing would take like literally 15 minutes. But he would charge me like it took him five hours. You know what I'm talking about? Like that's what's going on. So what happens is, you know, we're riding through life in our car of life and all of a sudden we start hearing a noise, something doesn't make sense. But because we have no idea how it actually operates, let's take our faith as that vehicle. We don't understand how it operates. Maybe we don't know why we believe what we believe and all of a sudden some other points of view come into place and it sounds better than mine because mine is usually pretty weak, right? This is why we have got to read the word of God. We've got to understand the word of God. We've got to wrestle with the things that we don't understand because if not, one day we'll start hearing some noises that we can't you know, make sense of. And, uh, and then at that point, we just sort of, some people hit pause and they're okay with that. Others tend to walk away. They're like, man, it just doesn't make sense. And it's like, man, you know, if you knew what an alternator was, like it would really help you out. You know, <laughs> like I changed out 17 batteries. It's because the battery is not the problem, 
You know, it's, it's the only thing I know about vehicles. And uh, I'm going to bail because anything past that, you'll know how ignorant I am. But um, honestly, that's part of the heart about what we're doing in this, in this chapter is to not only talk about Romans, but to show you and, and to all together to learn how to study the word of God, how to come up against hard topics and actually study through them, talk through them. If you're in a small group, you've been in these conversations and, and come on, y'all, look, I know some of the conversations are kind of like, huh? you know what I'm saying? But I'm going to tell you something. You find out what you really know and what you really believe whenever you're sitting around a circle with other people talking through things. I'm a verbal processor, and maybe that's why it's good for me to stand behind sometimes and, and talk like this, and everybody's just going, yeah, man, we get it. And like, I'm coming at it from four different angles because like I'm a verbal processor, right? So I like to talk things out. If you just stuck me in a room by myself and said, just think, I would go nuts, go nuts. I gotta, I gotta talk through things, right? As some of you, you gotta, you gotta be in situations where you're talking things out. You're talking the word of God out. And that's, uh, that's one of the things that small groups can do is you get in a small group, you begin to verbally process and, and, and walk through some things with other people and, uh, and watch God grow you. But uh, one thing before we get into today's message, uh, we have a freedom conference coming up in, on June 1st. And uh, if you've been through a freedom group, then you know what I'm talking about. If not, then you're a little bit lost. Well, I wanna encourage you coming up in August to, uh, to look for a freedom group. But here's the deal. If you've been through a freedom uh, group in the past, maybe you've, you weren't able to make it to the conference, uh, I wanna encourage you to begin to look at June 1st and go to fr- uh, northwood.tv freedom and look at this conference to register for it. Um, if you are in freedom, I want to encourage you to sign up and show up for the conference. It's coming up. Um, we we, we kind of changed some of our, our thinking about freedom, uh, freedom conferences in the last couple of conferences. And we want to invite you, if you've ever been to one in the past, I mean, if it's been like three, four, five years, and you're like, man, I could really, I could use a conference. I want to invite you out. Um, we truly believe in the fact that we are saved, right? We, we, we're justified, but we all need to be set free. We all need to be set free of our past. And what happens is sometimes people are, are dragging around baggage from their past and they never really deal with it um, in Christ. They deal with it in their emotions, but they never learn how to deal with it in freedom, in true freedom, in Christ. And uh, all of a sudden those things begin to well back up in life. And man, we gotta continue. We're gonna talk about it today a little bit, but we've gotta continue to surrender ourselves before Jesus. And look, some of you, this might be a good, uh, kind of a good kickstart. Come on, for, uh, for your summer. That's what we'll frame it like that, June. Kickstart for your summer. All right, so I wanna encourage you to do that, the northwood.tv slash freedom. So here we are, Romans. And uh, this is what I'm gonna do. Again, it's impossible to recap three months of teaching in five minutes, so I'm not even gonna try. I'm just gonna kind of throw out a couple of zingers and uh, hopefully it'll sort of remind you of where we're at. But uh, Romans chapter one through four, they really dealt with the gospel, the good news of Jesus, how it reveals God's righteousness, who he is, that he is good. No matter what our understanding or misunderstanding of God is, he is good, he is just. You know, like, I don't know if God's a good God. Well, whatever God does is good because that's who he is. So whatever decision he makes, however he has formed things to operate, it is good, it is perfect, why? Because that's who he is. So our definition of good or righteous does not define that. It's God's definition of good and righteous that defines it because that's who he is, right? Chapters five through eight, we talked about how the gospel creates a new humanity, a new way of living, 
All right, Adam and Eve messed things up, blame them, all right? And, uh, but Jesus came on the scene and he kind of reinstituted or reconciled a new way of living for us. And it's a way that we can live uh, like Christ or in Christ. Chapters nine through 11 uh, talked about how the gospel fulfill, fulfills God's promise to Israel. And it's a very, very big topic. And uh, we've, we've, I feel like we've dealt with it decently well with the time that we've had, uh, how God's promise has been faithful through every season, through, through all the disobedience of the Israelites, all the way in through Christ being fulfilled in what Jesus did, that his promise remains that God is faithful to do what he said he would do. So we're switching gears today. In chapters 12 through 16, we're really gonna talk about how the gospel ultimately unifies the church but guys, look, this is kind of where chapters one through 11, this is where it starts getting fleshed out in the way that we live. For some of you, you're like, can you please just get to something? Like, what do I need to do? <laughs> you know, you ever felt like that? Like these great concepts, but how does this apply to tomorrow morning when I get up for work? And uh, one thing that we've really tried to show and, and exp express is that whenever you truly have an understanding of the gospel and of the good news, that Jesus came, died for you, did all the work for you to redeem you, that that in and of itself is the power of God working in you to continue to transform your life. Like you don't really need a ton of more information, right? Like, like I'm, gonna, I'm gonna start there. Like that's the core of what we believe is that Jesus is enough for everything that's happening in your life. And if you consistent, look, look, last week I was going through something and you know what I did? I woke, up the, I woke up one morning and you know those mornings that you wake up and you literally are like, please not today. Like it's just like today's not one of those days that I feel like doing life. <laughs> just want to stay in the bed and watch Netflix or something. I don't know. And, um, and I got up and I didn't turn on some sort of like I don't know, self-help guru or some sort of thing. I didn't, I don't know. I didn't open up Instagram and try to find my, my, uh, my lift for the day. Um, I began to pray and I said, Lord, I pray that today you would help me to, uh, to recognize that, that you're in me and you're working through me that like, I am the righteousness of Christ, of God in Christ Jesus. Like, Father, you paid the price for me, and today I declare that, and I stand in that power today, not my own. Like, that's the type of prayers that you pray whenever you realize, like, God, everything is for you and in you. God, help me to, to be grounded in that. Not, Lord, I just pray that you make everything work out good, like shut their mouths or do this or do that and fix all my problems and Lord, give me more money. Like, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever the prayers would be, you know. It's like, no, God, you're changing me. You're doing something in me. And, and so, so from that though, at times it is, what does this look like? How does this flesh out? And today chapter 12 is gonna start teaching us what this looks like. And so uh, chapter 12 starts off with uh, Paul saying, I appeal to you therefore brothers. Now, whenever he says, I appeal to you therefore brothers, another version says, therefore. Basically what he's setting up right here is because of chapters one through 11, now this. Because of the last three months, Northwood, okay, of us, what we've been talking through, all of it has led up to, now let's talk about how this fleshes out, what this looks like, all right? I appeal to you, I beg you, therefore, because of the gospel, because of the good news of Jesus, by the mercies of God, to present or yield your bodies as a living sacrifice 
okay? A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I've got a few things about the believer's life and what a believer in Jesus, what their life should look like. Number one is that a believer's life is a life of sacrifice, a life of sacrifice. And Jesus is the example of this. A lot of people think, well, Jesus was God. It was easy for him. Go read the life of Christ and then especially go read the story of Jesus in the garden before he was arrested. And let me tell you something. He is praying much like I would pray. God, if there is any way that I don't have to do this, there's any other way, right now would be a good time to go ahead and reveal that, right? Y'all, he was praying so hard and he was in such distress that he was bleeding from his forehead, drops of, of blood, it was, he was sweating blood. That's how intense. You think you felt that type of anxiety before? I've never bled out of the capillaries bursting in my face before. I've never had that level of stress. That's what Jesus was underneath. That's what he was feeling. And yet he still, what did he do? He submitted his will to the Father. He submitted it. He took what he desired in his flesh, all right? The flesh side, the man side of God, of Jesus. He took it and he submitted it to God and said, not my will, not, my, not what I want in this moment, but what you want. Sacrifice, a life of sacrifice. You see, salvation is free. We've talked a lot about that. Man, that we, we haven't done anything to receive or set up the process of salvation. Salvation is free for us, but it costs Jesus everything. It costs him everything. Pain, suffering. And so today we continue that example. As believers, our life is lived in a, in a form of sacrifice. Every day that you get up, every day that you live, you are both the sacrificer and the sacrificee, okay? You are, you're basically taking all that you are, your time, your efforts, everything that you are, and you're placing it before God saying, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. You see, remember whenever we talked about being a slave to righteousness or a slave of sin? The whole concept that no matter what, we are slaves to something. Even though you may think that you're completely free and all that kind of, like, actually, we're all in a place of slavery to some sort of, some God, whether it's, it's the proper God, the one that we're speaking of, right, Yahweh, you know, there, there's that side, or the God of this world. Like it's, it's one or the other. And so every day that you get up, every day that you live, you are in some way, shape or form, either sacrificing, giving your life as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice to God, or you're reaching out and grabbing it off the altar and bringing it back and, and taking control of it again. A lot of people are really good at offering words like, yes, I, I, I've, gave, I've given God my life. But anytime that God actually calls on that, <laughs> <laughs> There's no response. It's sort of like, you know, like, God, I'll serve. I'll do anything. And then it's Tuesday night and somebody calls up and they need some help or they, they need you to come over and, and like pray with them. Or I don't know what the case would be. And you're like, ah, got to get my sleep. <laughs> like pulling that time back off the altar, right? We're in this place where we are both sac the sacrificee and also we are at the same time the sacrifice. But why? Why do we live this way? Is it for you to receive some sort of reward in heaven? Is it for you to receive some sort of kickback? So for you to feel good about living a, a life of sacrifice? No, it's actually all for the glory of God. It's for the glory of God. It's so that, it's so that we reflect him well. 
You know, when I was younger, um, I, I was the typical church kid and as pastor's kid. And so uh, for me, doing good, a lot of times I wanted to do good for my parents. Like I really did, you know, like, like for someone else. And, 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 but, but there was times of course, where, and all of you can really connect with this, more with this is you, you would do or try to have the perception that you're doing good in order for people to, for your reputation to be upheld, right? And I remember whenever I was younger, it was a time that, that like really all that I wanted to do was do good in order to, uh, well, receive good, but also that, that my reputation would be intact. And, uh, but there was this one defining moment in my life where I, I, I made some mistakes and what happened was I expected, you know, discipline, come on, whenever you're like 15, 14, 13 years old, right? Grounding, all that kind of stuff. But as I got older, one thing happened where I disappointed or I made a mistake and I disappointed my dad to such a place where, um, where like I really, I broke his heart to where I heard him crying in his room based upon what I had done. And that day, my motivation for doing good changed from just keeping up a reputation to, I wanna please my dad, right? Like, like, I don't want how I act to reflect on him negatively. And that's from a kid's point of view as a you know, parent kid. But a lot of times I think that when it comes to living a life of sacrifice and whether we do good, it's, it's like, why do we wanna do good? Why do we wanna be like that? Is it for us to receive some sort of glory for it? Or is it truly that we would reflect Jesus well? Like, what is the motivation for it? And that is something that like today, I can't just say a few words and it changes that motivation, but that is a journey that you've got to go on. Like, why do I want to live a life of sacrifice? Ultimately, it's for the glory of God because how we live reflects on God. Not about us, it's not about your reputation. It's about God's. So this is the first aspect. The second aspect in this verse, uh, verse one here is a believer's life is a life of worship. He says, which is your spiritual worship. Another, another version says, is your reasonable form of worship. Basically because of the gospel, because of all that God has done, how can you not live this life? If you've truly got a revelation of this, it's only logical that you would give your life fully and completely to this God. It only makes sense. It's reasonable. It just makes sense based on what he's done. I mean, if we, if we kind of bring it down to the human form, if somebody saved your life, we watch movies on it all the time, right? Somebody reaches in and they pull somebody out of the wreckage or they save them, right? And there's this moment, they're like, I owe my life to you. You know, like I'm indebted to you, right? And that's, of course, that's the only response that you would have to someone saving your life, unless you don't realize that it happened. Unless it's not a reality in your life. But if it is, it demands everything. It demands everything. Verse two, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Number three, a believer's life is a life of transformation a life of transformation. We've talked a lot about justification and being made right before God. And then we've begun to delve into this process, uh, this conversation of sanctification, which is being made more like Christ. 
And that process does not end until we end, okay? Until we die and stand before Jesus. And that's a reality that's in our life. But there is a problem with believers who are not being transformed into the image of Christ. There is an issue, all right? So, so let me, let me kind of talk in terms that we're all on the same page with. I step into this new way of living don't we all believe that our actions should begin to change too, right? So what's going on whenever someone professes faith in Christ, but five, 10 years later, they are the same exact person and they're still living in sexual immorality. They still live a lifestyle that, that's, that's not what the Bible says is, is true and is good and is pleasing to God. What's going on? Well, they are not being conformed into the image of Christ. Some people, they, they boil down or they simplify this into saying, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not smoking cigarettes anymore or I'm not, I'm not cussing, I'm not saying those bad words, you know? And like, the reality is, is like the Bible is not speaking about that. What? The, the Bible is talking about something much more important than those things. But what happens is people boil down Christianity to like, I used to smoke, but now I don't. Who cares? Like smoking does not put you in hell or put you in heaven, right? But like, seriously, what I'm trying to do right now is, is change some of your perspectives because we get caught up in conversations that aren't talking, it's not about being conformed to the image of Christ. We actually dumb it down to something that does not change somebody from the inside out. We talk a lot or we feel a lot about behavioral uh, modification, not like spiritual transformation, not being conformed to the image of Christ. I'll give you an example of something that, that has a little bit more weight when we talk about not being conformed to this world would be uh, a philosophical thinking, human reasoning, human thinking. Humanism is, it, it, it's permeating our thinking. It's permeating the church. It's permeating the gospel, humanistic thinking, new age thinking. We don't even recognize it anymore, y'all. We Christians have no clue what humanism is. And so what happens is we worship in a humanistic way. We come and we listen to messages like this in a humanistic way, which is basically like, hey, pastor, say something I want to hear that tantalizes me and that I can like take and like make me feel good. And if you don't, I'm going to go find another church that will. Like that's where we're at nowadays. Seriously. Today might be a little bit harsh for some of you. If it's your first time here, I want to welcome you to Northwood Church. <laughs> we're so glad that you're here. We're so, right? Huh? Y'all with me on this? Do y'all ever ask the question, what are we doing? <laughs> like, what is church? Like, what it, like if, if, you, if the coffee's not warm enough, people get mad. <laughs> we had a crisis last Saturday night. I got a phone call from our guest services director and he said, we got a problem. I was like, what's going on, man? 9.30 at night, I'm on my vacation, but it's important. Right? What's up, man? Bro, we got a boil water notice. So we can't serve coffee. <laughs> Shut her down. Shut her down. Nobody come to church. We don't have coffee this morning for the people, for the people of God, because they will get angry. 
You guys would actually be very surprised how many people get ticked whenever there's not enough creamer or the coffee's not hot enough or somebody's sitting in their seat or whatever other immature, unspiritual, embarrassing things that take place. Why? Man, if somewhere along the way, we forgot that people used to like get their throats cut for the gospel. Like somewhere along the way, like I don't know what happened to where it gets boiled down and dwindled down to this weak, like, I don't even know. I don't like the song, so I'm not gonna sing it. We're singing about Jesus. <laughs> We're like, I don't like the song. I don't care. Well, you know what I'm talking about? Like at some point, and I'm gonna be honest, if you read Paul from this, from this angle, a lot of times Paul spoke like this. Why? Because that type of thinking destroys relationships, destroys people's faith, destroys the, the, the church because it's weak. And so whenever we talk about being conformed to the image of Christ, that is not an easy process. It's not something that like, oh, let's just talk about rainbows and unicorns and like somehow miraculous. No, sometimes it looks like confrontation. It looks like, hey, bro, man, I love you, but you have got to stop your, your life of sexual immorality, man. Like, I love you enough to tell you this. Like, you shouldn't be sleeping with her. Like, I love you that much. And nowadays, what? I was like, oh, we don't want to offend. Guys, look, sometimes, in certain times, we were in a war. This past Wednesday night, we, were at prayer, we had prayer and worship, and which I'd encourage all of you to come out, prayer and worship. It's not a night off, y'all. Like, honestly, it's one of the most important things that we do is pray and worship as a church together. It's incredible. It's powerful. And we begin to pray about uh, really just, just warfare. And, and, and we, we, we lose sight of the fact that we're in a war. We lose sight of it. And then we get lulled to sleep. And then things that used to not matter, things that used to bounce off our chest, right? Because we were like so solid in our faith. All of a sudden they sink way deep and they begin to rattle core parts of our faith where things used to not. Because we don't know that we're in a fight. We're in a fight. So when he says, he says, be conformed, that's a command. Be conformed to the image of Christ and our life should look like that. It's a, it's a, it's a process of renewal. It's a renovation process. It's messy at times. It's difficult, but we've got to continue to engage in it. I've got to keep moving. Verse three, you're like, how is he going to get through all this? We're going to make it happen. Verse three, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, basically, honestly assess yourself each according to the measure of faith that God is, has assigned. Number four, a believer's life is a life of humility. Now, humility is not, it's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less, okay? Humility is not beating yourself down into the ground. Oh, I am just dirt. I'm dirt. I'm dust. Some people, like, they get into this spiritual humility, and it's like all they do is just ground themselves into the ground, you know, like, Rrr. well, I mean, that's not necessarily all. I mean, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am a child of the king. Like, I have value in Christ, right? But, but, but humility, humility. One of the things about humility that I'm going to bring up right now is just this concept of being teachable, teachable. Okay, I'm not gonna talk about all the other aspects. One aspect of humility is being teachable. And nowadays, 
we are some of the most unteachable people ever. Like it's, it's, it's impossible. We start having a conversation about anything. You ever, you ever realize that? Sometimes you get in a conversation with somebody and it's like they already know everything about it, even though you know they don't. Like they don't know what they're talking about because you don't either. But, but like, why? It's like, we all, we all feel like we have to know. Like we have all this intellect because we have Google. And it's like, we all understand. Like even today, you're like, yes, I understand what you're speaking of. Actually, I was, I was Googling it yesterday and I noticed that uh, there's different theologians who believe different things, you know, right? And we're experts, but we're really, we're really not. <laughs> but in the church, we live differently. We live humble lives. We're teachable. Not cocky, we're confident, but not, we're not cocky, but we're humble. And with each other and the way that we live life with each other, we have got to retain a level of humility because without these things, verse four will not happen, y'all. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Here he speaks of unity. A believer's life is a life of unity. You cannot have unity without first having humility. Humble people are, you not in, are not in unity together. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's one of the problems with our nation. We're all so prideful and selfish that it's impossible for there to be unity because my opinion matters much more than yours because I'm right, okay, <laughs> roughly speaking. But in the church, we, this body, this community right here, we must maintain unity. We must... There's only really a couple of things that I personally care about. Ultimately, when we're talking about topics like this, unity is one of them, unity. My goal in this church is to maintain unity with leadership, with people. Guys, look, how many of you know that we're, there's gonna be offense at times, right? Everybody good with that? Okay, good, let's move on. Because the bigger deal is, are we gonna fight for unity? Are we gonna fight for each other? Not fight each other, fight for one another. Fight for peace. In marriages, the thing that, that really breaks apart is two people that decide to stop fighting for one another. They, de they decide to stop saying, you know what, you're right. I might, be, I might be more right in this thing, but you know what, you're right. And I choose agreement over disagreement. Why? Because it's the heart of God, right? It's, it's the heart of God. We must maintain unity as a people, as a church. The Bible says that, that those that are outside of Christ are gonna know that we are God's, that we are his because of how we love one another. And one of the aspects is how we stay in unity. I wanna say this, we have to protect the unity in this church. That means if someone begins to speak to you negatively about something in this church, you protect the unity in the church. You don't, like, you don't have to punch them in the face, I'm not saying that. Love them, help them, right? But at the end of the day, you're fighting for unity in the church. If that means, hey, you need to go talk to somebody about that, you need to go talk. Let me tell you one thing that, that, that ruins unity in a church. Unity in, a, in anything is gossip. It's one of the biggest things. And gossip is never on purpose. I, not one time in my life have I ever gone to a conversation and say, you know what, I think I'll gossip right now. That'll be fun. I really, you know, I haven't done it in a while. Every time that I get caught up in it, it's always accidental. It's accidental. It's just like, you know, you walk away from a conversation and you're like, you know what? I don't think that I really had the heart of God in that conversation. And what I, I repent, you know, you change. When you're in those conversations, lovingly shut it down and lovingly point them to the right source, to the right person to talk to. 
Because why? Would you want someone to go behind your back and talk to someone else about you? No, you, like come to me, like, talk to me about it, right? Those are ways that we shut down disunity before it even starts. Why? Because we love each other, right? Love God, love people. This is a community. We've got to protect that. A believer's life is a life of unity. We are one body. We have many members. We have many different ways of doing things, many different ways of looking at life. That's actually why we love, uh, one of the reasons that we love Northwood, man. Come on, look, the unity, but yet there's still diversity. You don't come to this church and all of a sudden it's like, oh, here's this three-step process of what it means to be a Northwoodian. All right, now say this, do this. Nope, don't go. Now, there's gonna be diversity, but we can still be in unity together, right? Does it make sense? How does it play out? Verse six, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, to the one who can lead small groups, to lead small groups well, to the one who can sing, sing for the glory of God, to the one who can teach and tolerate kids, Teach them, like serve, right? Like we all have different gifts and abilities, guys. And whenever we begin to envy other people's gifts and abilities and their position, that's when things begin to break down. Celebrate other people's gifts. Celebrate other people's progression or growth. Don't look at it and say, man, I really wish I could do that. You know what? I wish somebody would look at me and recognize me. That is probably why nobody's recognizing you because God sees something in you that if somebody did recognize that, it would just puff up into pride. And as soon as you got to that level, you would end up getting your knees knocked out from underneath you. Talent gets people places, but character keeps keeps them there. People want to look at talent. It ain't about talent. I'd rather have mediocre talent with incredible character. Right? It's less embarrassing too. It's embarrassing to get your knees chopped out from underneath you. A lot of people, they haven't been tested in certain areas and they want that position and they have no idea what they're asking for. It's not about our position. It's about us working in the gifts that God has given us. He's assigned us. He's called us. Be secure in your giftings. Guys, look, insecurity in people is debilitating. It's debilitating to relationships. It's debilitating to churches like this. Insecurity. Each of us individually have got to deal with that because there's nobody that could fix the insecurity inside of you. And a role or a position or a title will not fix it either. It will actually make it much, much worse. Your insecurity will grow as your influence does. If a believer's life has lived in these ways, this is what it will look like. This is what it's gonna look like. And this is where I'm gonna rapid fire these scriptures. You're like, how are we gonna break down all these scriptures in five minutes? We're not. We're gonna read through them because they are self-explanatory. And as we read through this, I just want you to ask the question, is this me? Like, does this reflect my life? Let love be genuine. Be genuine, authentic. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection like a good, healthy family does. Outdo one another in showing honor. Could we have a, a culture of honor at Northwood Church? a culture of honor. 
Because our culture's uh, level of honor is, is depleting. It's falling apart. There's no, there's no honor for authority. There's no, there's no honor for structure, none of it. And some of it's because of a lot of abuse. But still, when it comes to the church, we have got to honor one another. We've got to honor our leaders. It's, it's so important. Outdo one another in honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Again, let me remind you guys, this is the Apostle Paul writing this letter to the church. And he said, in your midst, in your congregation, let these things be seen and known. Like fight for these things, man. Be hospitable. Isn't it kind of funny? At some point, he's just like, hey guys, keep inviting one another over to your houses and eat together and enjoy relationship. Side note, 30 seconds. I hear a lot of people say, man, I just, you know, I just don't have a lot of friends. And we're sitting in a gigantic auditorium full of people that should be our friends. And I'm like, what's going on? Let me tell you something. For those of you who are sitting at your house on Friday night, and you're like, man, I just really wish somebody would text me and invite us out. And maybe we could, why don't you instigate it? This isn't very spiritual, I know, but that's why I said side note for 30 seconds. Like, just simply, man, just reach out. This is what Paul's saying, guys, Keep being hospitable. You're like, why is that important? Do you know the wealth of health that comes out of good relationships? The encouragement, we need one another. Continue to be hospitable, right? I'll keep moving. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Now, now this is not what we like. Now you're like, okay, I'm gonna turn these verses off because I don't really wanna. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse them even with your speech, even when you're by yourself, don't curse them. 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony, it's a, it's a command. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Come on, church. Any moment that you ever feel that you are above someone, that you can't hang out or be around or to associate with someone because they're not a certain level of person, they don't dress a certain way, they don't have your certain amount of whatever, begin to realize that you are caught up in a haughty spirit. Associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, <laughs> live peaceably with all. I like how we put the responsibility on you, right? Basically, the part of the situation that you can control to create peace, that's your responsibility. If the other party involved does not reciprocate, that's not on you. But the part that you're responsible for, if you don't, that is on you. Live in harmony, unity. He's saying the same thing. Verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. We don't like that verse. For it's written, vengeance is mine. I'll repay, says the Lord. That's out of Deuteronomy. God's, gonna, God's got the last word, y'all. Come on, we gotta live life like that. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. That sounds fun. I like that verse. I like that part. Burn his head. Verse 21. 
Don't be overcome by evil, which is those thoughts that I just said, but overcome evil with good. What is Paul, what is Paul saying right here? He's saying, treat your enemy kindly for that may make him ashamed and lead to his repentance. Kill him with kindness, right? In other words, the best way to get rid of an enemy is to turn him into a friend. What if our motivation with people that we consider to be our enemy or strongly displeased with us that we would actually seek to win them over. Not people please, right? I'm not talking about compromising standards and all that, no. But like, what if our hearts were so bent in a way for unity, especially with one another, that those that we used to have a problem with, we would actually seek them out to, to find healing in that. I heard a story in the last couple of weeks about some that, that's happening uh, in different small groups and different things where people that used to be at odds in certain ways and shapes and forms and, it's like there's a unity. Isn't it amazing that as we read the word together and we study and we pray, how like certain things that used to matter don't matter. One of which being we don't seek disunity or to prove a point. Like, I don't care about that. I seek unity. That's what Paul's really trying to sort of show. He's, he's given the case. And y'all, you've been here for the last 11 chapters, right? We have, we've built this case up for Christ and like why all of this matters. You see, I, couldn't really, I can't really talk about what we've talked about today a lot without talking about the gospel because it's pointless. Because then all I'm trying to do is get you to be in unity apart from Christ. And there's no point in that. We'll have a really cool social club, Right? And that's not what this is. But based off our motivation of what God has done for us, how can we not desire and do and fight for these things right here? So Paul's saying, he said all of that. And then he comes in and he says, come on guys, let's act right because of what Jesus has done. So today I wanna wrap up with this, that God loves every single one of you in this room. And some of you need to hear that very simple yet very powerful statement that God loves you and he loved you enough to not leave you dead in sin, but to send his son to die on the cross, live perfectly, die terribly and be raised back to life for you to open up heaven to you. And that's, that's what everything that we believe centers around. It's what we just sang about. It's what we read about. It's what we, what we preach that Jesus died for you. And today I wanna to give you a simple opportunity to respond to that because this, this is what I know, that it's not my ability to say certain words in a certain way to convince you and like, ooh, it's the spirit of God that is drawing you. The Bible says that his kindness draws all people to repentance. So I'm gonna give an opportunity for you to respond to what God's speaking to you in your life right now. So let's go ahead and bow our heads, close our eyes. And right now, just open up your heart to say, God, I pray, that, I pray that in this moment, you speak to me. Speak to me. Where am I at in my relationship with you? Do I have a relationship with you? Just with much humility, just open up your heart before God. You know, being raised up in church my whole life, I mean, I understand even for those of you who have been in church for a while, but yet you feel like there's distance between you and God. There's distance. And in this moment, just go and say, hey, God, I'm yours. I surrender my life to you, all that I am.
again. Some of you in this room though, you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. You've never had that moment where you said yes. And today you feel like it's a turning point for you. And I wanna give you an opportunity right here to respond. This is what I'm gonna ask you to do in a moment. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna embarrass you. Everybody's heads are bowed, eyes are closed, but I wanna see who I'm praying with. And what, it, what this means when you raise your hand is, I'm far from God, but today I wanna to draw close to him. I wanna receive Jesus as my Lord and my savior. I place my faith and my trust in him. Again, I'm not gonna embarrass you. You're not gonna do anything strange. But right now, if you're in that place, you know that you're far from God. Come on, all over the room, just go ahead and lift up your hand. I wanna pray with you. Let's see, yep, yep, yep. Let's see four over here. Five, six, yep, seven, eight, nine. Come on. Anybody else? Maybe you're here today and, and you used to have a strong relationship with God, but you know that you have walked away from him. You know that right now, if you stood before Jesus, you, you, just, you don't think that you would hear those words, well done and good, good and faithful servant. You feel, like, you feel like you might get another answer, one of rejection because you just don't, you just know. But you wanna be sure, anybody else in this place today, I just wanna pray with you, anybody else? Come on right here, I see you. I see you over here, man. So what we're gonna do, I'm gonna say a prayer. I'm gonna ask that everybody in the room all together that we would repeat this prayer. I'll say it, you repeat it. And come on, let's just all lay our hearts before God, surrendering all that we are to Him. And for those of you that raised your hand, for you, God's gonna change your life. He is gonna change your perspective because all that He asks for is surrender. Nothing that you can bring is of any value. You can't attain Jesus, can't attain righteousness. Come on, he's here to save you today. So right now, let's pray this prayer, everybody. Just repeat after me. Say, Lord, I come before you. Come on, speak it out just a little bit louder. Come on, Lord, I come before you. I'm bringing all that I am to receive all that you are. Jesus, I pray that you would forgive me of my sins. Set my life in the right path. I receive your righteousness, your forgiveness, your power. I thank you for the cross and for redeeming me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, can we give it up for every person that raised their hand? Northwood Church is one church with multiple locations. Uh, we have locations in Gulfport, Wiggins, and Long Beach, and we'd love to see you there. If you enjoyed this message and want to get more info on who we are, just head over to northwood.tv. And once you're there, you can check out all our past sermons and all the things that we're doing in South Mississippi. And even to, to give to support those efforts of reaching more people, be sure to connect with us on social media to stay up to date with everything happening around Northwood Church. Thanks for watching. We hope to see you soon.